from app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, it's time for another episode of Jersey Jump Shot. Thanks for tuning in. Season 2, Episode 2, and we are off and running in the college basketball season. Well, sort of. We'll get more into that in this episode. Of course, joining me, Ryan Ross, your host, we have our college basketball experts from the USA Today Network, New Jersey. Of course, that is Jerry Carino and Steve Edelson. Guys, uh, like I said, we're off and running so far this season with a a couple asterisks, I guess you could say. Uh, Just your quick thoughts. We'll get into plenty of detail about some of the big stories, but uh, some of your quick thoughts as we tip off the season here in New Jersey. Yeah, first of all, just glad there's a season, right? And we've had some games and Rutgers has played three games and Seton Hall has played one and St. Peter's has played two and FDU's played two. So we're still waiting for some teams to go up and running, but it's just, it's nice to see the ball go up. Yeah. And honestly, amid all the cancellations, there've been some pretty good games. I mean, the Richmond, you know, winning at Kentucky, you know, Villanova getting knocked off by Virginia tech in overtime. That was a great game. Um, so sprinkled in amid the COVID have been some pretty good games so far. And uh, injuries and cancellations, unfortunately, a part of the the past week of college basketball here in New Jersey. But like you said, we do have games to talk about, and that's certainly a blessing in 2020, because as we've seen, that could all disappear awfully quickly Uh, as we get into the look. Out of our uh, New Jersey teams from this past week, Jerry, uh, first, let's talk about your top 25 and, and how you're voting this week. So Rutgers, I had them, I had them at 19 in my preseason poll. They came in 24th. Uh, I had them at 19 in my ballot for preseason. They came in 24th in the preseason poll. Now, what I do is I adjust and I try to honor the consensus of the poll. So then when I sat down last night to do my ballot, I started with Rutgers at 24. I moved them up to 21 ahead of three teams that uh, that lost that were ranked. I don't know if they'll move up that high in the actual poll, which comes out you know shortly uh, this afternoon. But uh, they'll be somewhere between 21 and 24. What do you do with Richmond? What do you do with Kentucky now? I I dropped Kentucky out. I think Kentucky's always massively overrated in in uh, November. I know I know that we know they're going to be good in in February and March. But come on, all new players, so many years. Pieces take time to gel. I put Richmond in. Richmond's good. I, the only reason I didn't have Richmond in my preseason top 25 is because they had a key player who got hurt, but they apparently have gotten over that. So Richmond's in. Kentucky's out. Rutgers ahead of Kentucky right now. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> I mean, 2020, we, we knew it was going to be a weird year, but now we have the Scarlet Knights ahead of the Kentucky Wildcats and Rutgers. Speaking of them, 3-0. and they were able to get three games in, which, again, is a blessing here in 2020. Wins over Sacred Heart, Fairleigh Dickinson, who was, by the way, number one in the preseason poll in the Northeast Conference, and Hofstra, more or less taking care of business. Uh, you know, no offense to those three teams, but those are three games Rutgers should have won, and they did. Uh, the big stories coming out of this, though, number one, we have an injury to Geo. And second, what does Rutgers do now? Because as of right now, they're not scheduled to play till December 8th. Right. So let's take these one at a time. First of all, it was a big deal that Rutgers got three games in, even though it was against inferior competition. Good teams in their low and mid-major leagues, but not teams at Rutgers level. Steve Peichel said the first thing he does after each game is go in and congratulate his guys for testing positive. I mean, testing negative. Positive. (laughs) What am I talking about? It's a positive development that they tested negative. This is all new jargon for us. So so Rutgers is tested negative. They play three games. It's a big deal. Uh, And... 
you know, they, they did lose a player. I mean, not just a player. They lost the player, Geo Baker. Now, look, I think Ron Harper is probably the most talented basketball player Rutgers has. He's a he's an all-Big Ten caliber player. Um, you know, could be a, a, one of the best players in his position in the country. But we know Geo Baker, the senior point guard, is the heart and soul. And he gets hurt in the first half of the first game, badly sprained ankle. He comes out after halftime on crutches. He's out an indefinite period. It all depends on how fast his sprained ankle heals. Uh, you know, whether he's going to play for the next scheduled game against Syracuse uh, December 8th, I don't know. Uh, he, they hope to, I know they have him back for the for the Big Ten opener, which is uh, a few days later on the weekend of the of December 12th, 13th. So that's the goal for him, but we'll see. In the meantime, you know, Rutgers now, has after playing three games in five days, has a 10-day a gap here to fill. And are they going to they're going to rest for a few days? The question is, do they try to book a game for this weekend, or do they just wait for the Syracuse game? And my feeling is, and Steve, we could discuss this. My feeling is they should try to get one more game in because right now the only other non-conference game they have is Syracuse. They're good, but this team is better than that. This team needs to be tested a little bit and push itself a little bit, ideally away from the rack. Steve Peichel said his phone's been ringing. Answer the call. Take one of the games. Let's see Rutgers against another high major this weekend. Away from the rack will be a nice test. Well, I I would absolutely say do not play a game, and I say that because you just won three games. I, I, again, you got three games in. You've got your star player who's going to be able to rest and get back from from his ankle injury. Why roll the dice? I would just call that a win. You got three games in. Don't take any chances. You see what's going on around the country. I would just take it right, practice right on through and play that Syracuse game. I would not roll the dice here. I do think that Rutgers will not travel very far. I think if they travel, it'll be like bus trip travel. I don't think they'll fly anywhere to play a game, but it'll be fascinating to see what Steve Peichel's next move is. And it's not an unusual scheduling quirk either. Rutgers, like we said, played three games in five days. You'll see teams sometimes in these preseason tournaments play three games in three days or four games in four days, then take a week off before they get more into their regular season schedule, their their regular routine. So it's definitely not out of the ordinary. But for a team like Rutgers, uh, I, I, I agree, Jerry. They had this long layoff. Uh, there's got to be someone that you can get in there to you know play either at the rack or go meet them somewhere else. I mean, Notre Dame coach Mike Bray is out there on Twitter asking anybody if they want to play on Friday or, or Saturday. You know, Rutgers should say, you know what, Mike, we'll see you at Mohegan Sun. Yeah, I could drive there. I'd love to see that. Well, I, I tell you what, though, I think your options are somewhat limited if you're Rutgers and you don't want to travel. Are you going to are you going to risk playing a mid-major at this point, you know, who you know, may have already been shut down, um, may not have the wherewithal or the same testing uh, protocols that you have. I, I don't know. That seems like a big risk to me. And Rutgers just dodged a bullet because Sacred Heart, who they opened with uh, on Friday, uh, sorry, last Wednesday, two days later, Sacred Heart was shut down for uh, testing positive. So, so far, Rutgers has dodged a bullet with that. So your point on playing a mid-major, a low-major that has, you know, testing not that often is well is well taken there, Steve. So let's operate under the assumption that they don't schedule a game. We'll stick with what we do know right now. And we're talking about that December 8th Syracuse game, uh, a lifetime away in the time of COVID with all the cancellations. But what do we see out of that game? Jerry, you mentioned that before. Uh, Syracuse, certainly the name recognition, but not quite the team that they've been historically. Yeah, they're, they're good and won their opener. But who, you know, it's a good, it's a good foe. Uh, it's a big brand. Uh, they're a top, you know, 30 Ken, 
Top 30, 35 Ken Palm ranking team. So that, that's another NCAA tournament team. They're not in the top 25, but it would be a real good test. And it would just be a, a significant, I think, feather in Rutgers cap to beat a Syracuse. Rutgers is better. They should win the game, but it's not going to be easy by any means. I mean, Syracuse is Syracuse. They got talent. So it's a game that's going to draw a lot of eyeballs for sure on the 8th. Can't help but feel for Scarlet Knights fans. After last season, they're ready to go to the NCAA tournament. And then, of course, everything gets shut down. And now they start this season in the top 25. And one of their two best players goes down in the early season. But uh, like we said, hopefully for Scarlet Knights fans, Geo Baker is back. But uh, it looks like they'll be without him for at least a couple of games. Uh, and they've right done now. pretty well without him, right? I mean, they've done, mm-hmm. you know, again, the competition is low. But they've done well without him. Paul Mulcahy, the sophomore uh, Gil's former Gil St. Bernard star and, and Bayonne native has, he's run the offense pretty nicely. So he's a competent player. He's not Baker, but he's holding the four pretty well. And that's when Baker comes back, that experience will benefit Mulcahy for sure. So we'll certainly keep an eye on that and, uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter, of course. And, uh, we'll update you if, if uh, Rutgers does get a game in before that uh, December 8th matchup with Syracuse uh, moving on now to the Seton Hall Pirates a tough one point loss to Louisville this past week and they have some injury news as well so Seton Hall comes out of a COVID break has two days of practice travels to Louisville and then loses a crazy game by one when they were down 11 in the second half Steve mentioned in our opening podcast look out for Takal Molson and he was a huge part of that game in fact he had the ball in his hands at the end of the game And uh, he missed a contested layup, missed a free throw after making the first two at the very end of the game. But the point is he was very aggressive. So he was a net positive for Seton Hall, the the Canisius transfer who Steve saw play with in the MAC. Um, But, yeah, Seton Hall loses Bryce Aiken. Same thing with Geo Baker. He goes down in the first half with a badly sprained ankle. So Kevin Willard says the goal is, the hope is, he'll be back for the Big East opener December 11th against DePaul. Here's the thing about Bryce Aiken, you know, in his career at Harvard before he transferred to Seton Hall, the Randolph native coming home for a postgraduate year, Aiken was hurt a lot. He had two season-ending injuries, and Seton Hall, his knee injury was lingering. They were worried how he was going to hold up with his knee, so they didn't even start him against Louisville. So now he's hurt again, so you're worried about the guy. He's a key part of what Seton Hall wants to do big picture. In the meantime, another local guy, Shavar Reynolds, the pride of Manchester Township, the former walk-on gets the call to start at point guard and does very well. You know, he scores uh, he scores 11 points, uh, fourth-rate shooting, dishes out three assists, has just one turnover, plays really good defense on Louisville's standout point guard. He did his job. Seton Hall just didn't win the game because, you know, they were I think they were a little little rusty with all the time off, and they missed a couple opportunities. In all, a good showing for the Pirates. You got to think if, if and when Aiken comes back, it's going to be a pretty good team. Yeah, I, I I think that is a huge win for Seton Hall to only lose that game by one point. Uh, you know, given the circumstances and everything going on, the COVID shutdown, I mean, that was a really positive start for Seton Hall, I thought. And what you really liked was that Sandrew Mamouk Lashvili, Mamu, as we say for short, it's much easier to say Mamu, uh, is he's the star player that everybody thought he could be. You know, it's his turn in the spotlight with Miles Powell moving on to the Knicks and the NBA. And and he dominated that game. He was superb. 22 points, 10 rebounds, uh, threw a fantastic pass that could have been a game-winning buck to Molson on a final full sequence. 
And so Mamu played great. He's the hang-your-hat player they need. They need to get him the ball more, I think, throughout the game. But uh, that was the other sign. He's You wonder if he's ready to be the guy because he's always been sort of a laid-back personality. He was the guy in that game against a good Louisville team. And it was game one, of course, replacing a legend. Uh, a weird offseason with everything going on. I know, you know, it's a, it's a tough one to swallow for Pirates fans to lose by one on the road. But, uh, you know, I agree. It was a good showing for the Pirates and definitely something they can build on. If you're wondering why we're not talking about the Pirates matchup with Baylor, uh, I saw the tweet, Jerry. You were fired up about this. What happened there? Why didn't the Pirates play the Bears? So they're supposed to play the second-ranked Baylor on Sunday, you know, yesterday. And uh, the game was called off. You know, the, the official language was it was a mutual decision. But what really happened here was Baylor's coach got COVID, uh, Scott Drew. And then, you know, Baylor went ahead and said, we're going to just keep playing. And listen, I don't blame Seton Hall for being skittish about that at all. I don't blame the people at Mohegan Sun, where Baylor was supposed to play a couple tune-up games uh, last week, for being skittish. Mohegan Sun pulls the plug. And then, you know, Seton Hall and Baylor, yeah, it's mutual. Come on. The game gets called off, and then the next day, Baylor's booking another game to travel to Las Vegas against Washington. Get out of here, mutual. That ain't mutual. Seton Hall's protecting itself in that game because, let's be honest about it, people don't trust Baylor. Baylor's a bit of a rogue athletics department, and they have different standards, and so their coach gets COVID, and they just carry on. So well, it's it's ridiculous. Well, what about Gonzaga? Goes to Florida, gets positive tests. And then they play anyway down there. The lack of any uniformity on any of this is a real problem for NCAA basketball right now. Um, you you're you got teams with different standards trying to play each other. Um, I you know I think that is going to be something that could really impact the season is that lack of uniformity across the country. Yeah, you have Gonzaga and Baylor, the two top teams in the country, playing basically playing through positive COVID testing tests. And then you have other teams shutting down for two whole weeks. It doesn't it just doesn't make any sense. The NCA recommended the two week shutdown based on CDC guidance. Um, the NCA recommended that, but different schools and different leagues take different approaches. So the Big East, I know, is implementing the two week shutdown for its members. Uh, some schools and some some leagues that are more rogue, you know, are not. So it's really weird, and it has to, they have to get on the same page. Now, personally, my thought is ten days is probably probably a better shutdown than two full weeks. I think we're learning. Well, I'm not a scientist, but it seems like what we've learned is that the first two to five days after exposure for the virus, so 10 days seems more realistic than two weeks, but the NCA has a guy in charge of basketball, Dan Gavitt, who everybody respects. You know, he he should get on everybody on the same page and say, hey, we're all going to do this, not like do as you feel. That doesn't make any sense. I can't believe that hasn't happened. It, it was no secret that college basketball was going to start at some point this season. They had how many months to try to figure out some kind of uniform code for teams to follow when this was going to happen. It wasn't an if, when this was going to happen. And then here we are, the season's underway. And like we said, we have some teams playing through positive tests. We have other teams that haven't tipped off because they're in a two-week shutdown. There's there's no standard that there needs to be for a governing body to to put forth and and that's really what's needed now there needs to be some kind of standard and then we can argue whether or not it's strict enough or whether or not it's enough time off but there definitely does need to be some kind of uniform standard because 
for the most part, we have chaos now. We have teams that are shut down. We have teams that are playing. We have teams looking to schedule games that are shut down. So there needs to be some kind of uh, you know leadership that steps in to to figure this thing out. Yeah, I defend the NCAA a lot because I do I do feel like that there is there's a lot to be gained for 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 college athletes playing a sport representing their school. But the, the, for the critics, this is who say the NCAA is a clown show. This is clown like. So just get your act together. Back to the Pirates, though. So that game with Baylor, that's gone. So now we have a new matchup coming tonight, Monday night, Jerry. Uh, Iona comes in along with uh, Mr. Rick Pitino. Yeah, this is a juicy matchup. So wasn't there a time, Steve, where we thought Pitino was going to open against Monmouth? Yeah, right. Mac. Well, they're going to open their Mac season, and they All still right. are against Monmouth. But, um, yeah, I, this could not have worked out really any better for, for both teams. You know, it's, it's, there's a little juice to it. You know, you wish maybe Patino would have had a little more time to, to kind of sparkle up that program and get them ready. But you know what? I would not be shocked if, if Patino throws a team out there that's competitive. I mean, Iona has some talent. Yeah, so it's a good. It is a good game with great storylines and like Kevin Willard, Seton Hall's coach. He's not one for sentimental storylines, but Rick Pitino means a lot to him. It's his mentor. It's the guy most responsible for where he is today. He coached alongside him for ten years, and then he coached at Iona before he came to Seton Hall. And there's a lot of ties between the two schools. So there really is a. It's a deeply meaningful game. It's kind of cool that Pitino is making his grand return after after three years in exile in Greece. That he's making his grand return against a protege who's been successful and on the, in the stage of the new york media market you know that's a prime time game on monday night i think that's very cool so kudos to everyone who got this together really it really came together in a matter of like an hour or two on saturday seton hall was going to play st joe's and then you know that fell apart who knows a lot of behind the scenes maneuverings so proper so opera-esque and then they get they get iona to me it's a better game they're home seton hall's home Iona's, you know, it's a, it's a game a lot of eyeballs will, will be watching. And it's not a bad test for Seton Hall, though. They should win the game. They should be better than Iona. We kind of get surprise basketball this season. This game, obviously, <laughs> not on the schedule. And all of a sudden, whoa, okay, Seton Hall, I, Iona. Yeah, sign me up. Let's do this. So Yeah, and then so Seton Hall's week now. Suddenly, you, the week went from went from playing, go, making a trip to Rhode Island on Wednesday and then playing Penn State at Penn State next Sunday they're weak now and and coming off of Baylor, no Baylor. Iona Monday night at home at Rhode Island Wednesday, which is a decent mid-major, and then Oregon in Omaha tentatively supposedly on Friday, it's been reported. Uh it seems like we'll see if that happens, but it seems like it's that's the plan. You know, Oregon's a ranked team, and then uh and then then the Penn State game on Sunday, so it's it's four games in in 7 days. It's a, this is just a wild a wild uh, scrum of a season so far. And that's what's going to happen until we get into conference play. And then it only becomes a little less wild. And that Penn State game, uh, I think we mentioned that last show, a little bit of a thorn in the side of Rutgers fans because I think that was the weekend a lot of people had circled for Rutgers and Seton Hall to play and not happening. as What I would say about Rutgers fans who are mad that Seton Hall is not playing them this week is let's see if Rutgers schedules a game. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if Rutgers wants to play a game this week. Let's see what they do. But there was no way Rutgers was playing a game today. Seton Hall wanted to play on Monday. Rutgers was not playing today. And so Iona, it works out really well for all involved. As for the mid-majors in the Garden State, well, a couple of them just haven't started yet. Uh, Mammoth is still shut down. They've missed, I think, three games officially on their schedule. Uh, 
Fairleigh Dickinson, 0-2 to start the year. They lost to Rutgers, of course, last week as well. St. Peter's, a one-point loss to St. John's in what was a great game. It was a missed layup away from a St. Peter's win. Uh, Jerry, I know you had some thoughts about that because we talked about the uh, prep time that St. John's had compared to the prep time that St. Peter's had, and St. Peter's goes in there and almost, almost takes down the Johnnies. Shaheen Holloway had me convinced when we talked two weeks ago that he was going to lose that game by 30. And then he had me convinced they were going to lose to LaSalle in the second game. So they go and they take St. John's to the wire. St. John's pulls it out with a three in the closing seconds. And they took it to LaSalle by double figures, uh, both games up in Queens at St. John's home court. That's a really good start for St. Peter's. So what I what you learn about Shaheen Holloway as the head coach is, you know, he's just very, never satisfied type of guy. He was down on what he he only had his team for a couple weeks. St. John's has been together since July. And that's a fantastic showing. I mean, Steve, you know the back better than I do. What did you think when you saw that? Yeah, it was great. And and let's face it, St. Peter should have won the St. John's game. I mean, they had that game won. Um, and then to come back and beat LaSalle, listen, I think everyone knew, I know they were picked second in the league, but I wouldn't have shocked anyone if they were picked first and if they do go on to win it. And I think you saw this weekend, just how good St. Peter's is, you know, uh, Shaheen Holloway has done a good job. And I know some Mac coaches have said, look, this guy has out recruited us over the last two years. Uh, so that's, it's not a surprise really that, that they came out this strong. Yeah, good start yeah. for them. And remember, it doesn't really matter what they do at a conference. Like with them, it's all about their conference and their conference tournament. But the fact that they were in that game is a good building block for sure. They're sharp and they're prepared, it looks like, to, to play the games that they play. And that's a reflection of the head coach. They, you know, whether it's a week or whatever they had to practice or a day, they were sharp and they were ready to go. And and I agree, they should have won that St. John's game. Uh, you know, they'll take the the one point loss. And like Jerry just said, it's it's more focused on the conference schedule. But they are one and one. They have Stony Brook coming up on Tuesday. Uh, like we said, Mammoth. They haven't played. NJIT hasn't played. Uh, Ryder hasn't started yet. And Fairleigh Dickinson, they go to Providence on Saturday. So what are we looking for some of the mid-majors here in New Jersey? Well, I got to tell you, again, the Mammoth program, seven hours before they were supposed to open against Hofstra, gets shut down for a positive test on Wednesday morning. Now they'd be looking at coming back for basically a day of practice and having to go to Iona for two straight games. You know, th this is kind of what this season is going to be. And that's the way it looks for all the New Jersey mid-majors right now. It's going to be very tough. You know, and again, if Mammoth has already had two shutdowns, I mean, what are the odds they're going to go th the next three months without another shutdown? You know, and what does that mean? And, you know, I think I think more than ever, you look at that 13-game minimum. That's, that's what these leagues are going to try and get their teams. And uh, in some cases, it might be tough to do that. And F and NJIT is in a shutdown, a lockdown too right now. They're in a quarantine, COVID quarantine. So that's another school that hasn't started. FDU did get the two games in. They lost two decisive games to Quinnipiac and Rutgers. Um, you know, it's hard to really judge them against Rutgers. Rutgers is much better. But uh, the fact that they got the games in, I guess, is what you can be happy about right now. And I'll end this show the way I'll start every show as well this season. Uh, this is all to be determined. We have all these games scheduled. We'll see if they happen. That's just the nature of this season. So if you're listening to us on Tuesday, hello from Monday. Maybe everything has changed. Maybe not. But we'll keep you updated, of course, as best as we can throughout the season. This show will be happening every Monday throughout college basketball season. 
be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud, Spotify, or iTunes, whichever you prefer. Guys, before we wrap up, what are some articles that uh, our listeners can be on the lookout for this week? So I, I had an interview with Quincy Doobie, you know, the Rutgers all-time great uh, guard who who just retired from uh, from playing professionally. He told me some great stories about playing ball overseas, and I asked him what he if he had any advice for Miles Powell as as Powell, the Seton Hall great, begins his. Well, that that'll be up either uh, Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning, and that's a fun little read, I think. That's something I can tell you is definitely coming. The games, we'll see. <laughs> Well, I think we're also going to try. I'm going to definitely going to try and get a, a handle uh, on what's going on with the mid majors in New Jersey and and what their prospects are for the next few weeks and uh, getting some games in. We'll see how it goes. Absolutely. So be sure to check in with app.com and northjersey.com is the USA Today Network. New Jersey covers college basketball in the Garden State in the wild year of 2020. Our thanks to Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson. I'm Ryan Ross. Thank you for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. And we'll talk to you next time. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.